This is the voice of the Report of the Week, signing on. Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen, and everyone listening. This is VORW International, the voice of the Report of the Week. Uh, This program is intended to go out Thursday, the 28th of February, 2019, the very last day of uh, February, and arguably, I should say inarguably, the last show for the month of February. VORW International is a weekly light entertainment program uh, which features a broad variety of my discussion on a wide variety of topics. This program goes out each and every week online via TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Pocket Casts, Google Play, many other means as well. This broadcast also can be heard on the International Shortwave on the frequency of 7780 kHz at 4 p.m. Eastern every Thursday and 5850 kHz at the time of 8 p.m. Eastern every Thursday. I hope you're doing well this week and I hope you enjoy this broadcast. As you very likely can tell with today's program, right from the start, we are uh, recording this outside. I uh, I just wanted to. It's a very pleasant day today. A little bit on the blustery side. Yeah, a little bit of a breeze here and there. Temperatures have uh, cooled down a little bit. And of course, you know, the breeze will make it a little cooler. But it's still very pleasant. Very much bearable, tolerable. You know, it's... Uh, it's fine, just had to put the sweater on, but otherwise I'm fine. You know, completely, completely fine. Just comfortable weather, I guess, all in all. But, of course, you might be able to hear that little bit of a breeze, you know, in the background, kind of going through some of the uh, some of the trees and, and all of that. The one thing that I always remind myself, and I, I sometimes have to, is that this microphone will not, I mean, it'll pick up the background noise, but it's not going to seem perhaps as loud, as distracting, uh, as it does to my own ears. Uh, Because, of course, you know, it's directional. And, you know, it'll pick up, and this has happened so many times before, where sometimes I've been outside recording, and I will hear these birds chirping, or these uh, insects making such loud noise, and I'll think to myself, oh my gosh, this is going to ruin the show, and I'll stop recording, because, you know, I, I hear this, it seems deafening, I think to myself, you know, it's going to it's gonna kind of drown out my, uh, my voice, and I'll stop recording for the day, I'll think, you know, it's done, I blew it, uh, whatever, and then I'll listen to it over, and I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute, no, I mean, you could hear it in the background, but it's not annoying at all, it's fine, so that's one of those things that I've learned, you just kind of have to ignore it, because it's not as as loud as I uh, initially think it to be, anyway one uh, one thing, before we I guess get on to any other things <laughs> is, uh, today's show I don't anticipate it to be the longest program in the world when I do this podcast I've made it clear, I think in the first uh, new one that we we started up with this series, 
is that the length of this is going to be variable. Because really, like the music show that I do has to be one hour long, you know? Because that's the airtime that I'm paying for. I paid for an hour long slot. Now theoretically, could I make the show 15 minutes? Yeah. And then, you know, the station will just fill in the remaining 45 minutes of something. But I'm kind of wasting my money if I do that. So I always try to make the music show one hour. Whereas with the podcast, there's no time limit, uh, positive or negative. It means if I want to ramble on for three and a half hours one day, if I really actually have that much to talk about, I freely could. Uh, because like I said, there's no no time limit, you know, it's like I'm forced to have to talk for this long or this short a span. And also on the same the same rate, if it's one of those days where there just isn't a lot to talk about, and the program will only end up being 30 minutes or, or less, or a little more, uh, that's fine too. I think today's program is going to be one of those shorter uh, programs, because I myself don't have much original material to uh, discuss. And it's simply just because it's one of those days. I, I believe at this point in quality over quantity. I remember back when I used to uh, do this show for YouTube only, and this is going back about uh, two years or so. A lot of people... Now, demand isn't the right word, because demand, though truly it doesn't, it, it seems to bring about the idea of a forceful action, and it wasn't that. Maybe request is a better word. But lots of people, I remember when I did this show on YouTube, requested the longer it be, the better. People wanted, you know, three-hour-long shows. Now, that's great and all if I have a lot to talk about, but what if I don't? And what if I only had maybe 30 minutes of stuff to talk about, but I felt like I had to somehow pull an additional two and a half hours of content out of thin air? And I tried to do that a few times, but it was at expense of the quality of the show itself, and people notice that. So, I would much rather do a really good 30-minute program rather than a poor-quality hour-and-a-half-long program. I'll do that any day. And uh, it all just depends on the subject matter, what's going through my head, but otherwise, uh, the main focus today is just going to be getting to your topic suggestions, your topic uh, requests, and all of that. A few did come in, and uh, I will make it clear very now. I suppose I should say I will make it, I will make it very clear now. Uh, if you do have a topic that you would like to suggest, if there's something you'd like to hear me talk about, uh, be it those dogs that you hear barking in the distance, or uh, pizza, shortwave radio, uh, you know, anything, fish, flying fish, flying pizzas or anything, anything you want to hear me talk about, your topic suggestions are welcome. All you need to do is send me an email at v-o-r-w-i-n-f-o at gmail.com. That address, once again, v-o-r-w-i-n-f-o at gmail.com. And simply send in your topic suggestion there. I cannot guarantee that I will talk about your topic suggestion next week or in the next show. 
However, I always say it's best to just get it out there, throw your hat in the ring, you have nothing to lose. Uh, also, if you don't have a topic suggestion, it would still be great to hear from you. Always great to hear any thoughts, feedback, uh, commentary, viewpoints, reception reports from the listening audience. If you're tuned in right now, feel free to send me an email if you have anything to say. It's just great to hear from you guys. Again, V-O-R-W-I-N-F-O at gmail.com. So, I simply have, uh, I guess really just, well, one and a half. (laughs) Silly. That sounds quite silly, but maybe one and a half topics to, uh, go on about. And then we'll just get on to your suggestions. Number one, this one I'll just cover briefly, because while, of course, it... You know, I, I I can talk about this endlessly. I know it's not of much relevance to uh, many people, but I'll, t- I'll say it anyway. In the uh, world of shortwave, shortwave radio, I mentioned this, I mentioned this many, many times. And, you know, it's the sad reality of it all, but it's just, you know, it's an accepted fact that shortwave radio, specifically shortwave broadcasting, you know, international broadcasting, what I do, is in decline. It's in decline. It has been for decades. And uh, it looks like it's, you know, for a while it seemed like that decline was kind of plateauing. Because uh, starting in the late 90s and up until around 2012-2013, international shortwave broadcasting was uh, declining at an exceptionally fast rate. And it makes sense as to why. I mean, of course, the internet, you know, the internet killed it. Uh, Why spend all the money to broadcast on shortwave uh, when now you can hear foreign stations and international radio programs uh, via the internet? So there is just a rapid decline of it all in uh, North America, Europe, South America, Australia, New Zealand, parts of Asia, where, uh, of course, you know, station after station is just shutting down. Uh, There were fewer and fewer listeners. A lot of the older listeners died off. Uh, A lot of newer listeners, of course, just put their radios away and found other means to listen. And uh, some people, you know, once their stations that they enjoyed listening to went off the air, they stopped listening. You know, they felt there's nothing, nothing else to listen to. And over those years, many great international broadcasters closed their doors and shut down. And then starting in 2013, uh, it seemed as though the decline maybe plateaued a little bit where the stations that were intended to leave the medium of shortwave are gone, and the ones that are still around are there to stay. And it was like that, you know, of course, there were still stations going off the air. There were still, uh, you know, like the Voice of Russia, that was a good station that's gone. Uh, many, uh, uh, what, what other broadcasts, uh, Radio Serbia International went off the air, those I, I remember. Radio Australia went off the air. That was a sad one. And, uh, you know, there were a few other discontinuations here and there, but nothing 
as significant as what had happened in the years before. I think a lot of the cutbacks were really on uh, medium wave and, and long wave radio in Europe, uh, especially in Germany and France. Huge amount of AM stations left the airwaves. But uh, recently it seems as though it's uh, speeding up again. Stations are uh, going off the air once more. I have a feeling this time it's going to be final. And uh, there's going to be another closure I want to tell anyone who's interested about. Of course, so far this year, uh, All India Radio, their uh, national channel, which uh, is just domestically for India, on 9380 kHz, they uh, closed down their uh, transmitter. Uh, the Italian Broadcasting Corporation discontinued all of their broadcasts on shortwave. Uh, the National Weather Service discontinued their shortwave weather reports. Uh, the religious broadcaster, World Christian Broadcasting, has uh, cut eight hours of transmissions due to rising costs for electricity. Uh, the Voice of Armenia on 4810 kHz has uh, discontinued their broadcasts. A uh, religious broadcaster to uh, India discontinued their transmissions. They would be heard on uh, about five or six frequencies. And uh, this is going to be the big one. Uh, just was released. The broadcast provider, uh, because uh, South Africa still maintains a presence on uh, shortwave, and they have a, a pretty large transmitter facility in Mayerton, and it has about six transmitters or so, maybe more, and they announced on March 31st their station will be closing down due to the rising cost of maintaining all of these transmissions. Impacted are 63 broadcasts that are sent from this uh, facility, mainly the BBC World Service, uh, though they said that they're just going to move these relays to uh, additional sites. But the biggest loss is going to be uh, South Africa's international broadcaster who pretty much said when this facility closes we're not going to be on the air anymore. Uh, that goes by the name Channel Africa and uh, they're going to be gone on uh, March 31st. Right now they're just on 11 frequencies serving the African continent. They're pretty difficult to receive in uh, North South America but if you're in Europe you'll probably be able to hear them and uh, then their domestic broadcaster, Radio Sondergrenz, uh, which is largely heard on FM, uh, but for the Northern Cape, they do maintain a shortwave service that will also be leaving the airwaves. So if you want a last chance to uh, hear any broadcast from South Africa, you have until March 31st, and then they're going to be gone, I suspect never to return. So I just wanted to get that out there. I've made this analogy years ago. I will continue to do so today. The medium of shortwave is in decline. It's like a train that's leaving the station. It's leaving. Still a little bit of it left, but not for long. I'm not trying to say this to discredit the broadcast medium of shortwave simply is what it is. Uh, 
Rather, if you are a shortwave listener, bear this in mind. The stations that you listen to now one day will not be here anymore. Understand that it's going away. And in that, savor what's left. And uh, just, you know, try to try to enjoy the stations that you still have that ability to pick up because it gets fewer and fewer every year. And I'm just so thankful today that there still is a little bit of variety left on the airwaves. Yes, nothing close to what there was years ago, but still some variety. Enjoy it while it's still there. And if you want to get a shortwave radio, it's now or never. This is the time to pretty much enjoy this medium while there's still something worth listening to on it. Because 10, 15 years from now, uh, that very well may not be the case anymore. So enjoy it while it's still here. And it's a very important thing, if you ask me. Well, there's still something, anything out there to listen to. That was my commentary on uh, shortwave, the state of shortwave. Some people, I think, will maybe disagree. It's a hard thing for me to admit, because I'm a huge proponent of international broadcasting, but it is impossible for me to sit here and look at what's going on and refuse to admit that this medium is still in continued decline, because it just is. And there's nothing I can do about it. I've said it before, I'll say it again, I'm a huge proponent of broadcasting. I try to do my very best to relay this show and the music show on the uh, airwaves to try to give the listeners in North, South America, and Europe a nice little program to listen to, to add a little bit of diversity to the airwaves. Even that is difficult to maintain. Airtime is expensive, it adds up. You know, last week we were running into some financial issues. I want to thank every one of you that donated. You guys, the sole reason why this show is going. But even then, it's tough. Some people, they long for a revival in uh, shortwave broadcast. I, I, I wished for the same thing. I wish there would be more stuff to listen to. But do I realistically see that happening? I don't. I could hope, I still hope, but I just don't see it happening. Get into shortwave. The time is now because we're pr- probably at, you know, the final minutes and it's final hour. Enjoy it while it's here. It's only going to be around for a few more while there's that diversity. If you want to get into it, last call pretty much. You can email me, vorwinfo at gmail.com. And, uh, you want to get into it, let me know, I'll help you out. Have any questions, I'll try my best to answer them. And for those of you unfamiliar, the very shortest description of what shortwave radio, it's like AM radio, except the signals can travel exponentially further. It's the shortest description I think I've ever, ever given of it, honestly. Okay. Point number two that I wanted to bring up. It's just, it's interesting, it's nothing that I'm really going to talk about. I've been following the situation in Venezuela for uh, a 
very long time. And, you know, everyone is entitled to their opinion, everyone is entitled to their thoughts, their uh, viewpoint, their perspective. I res- you know, of course, you should be allowed to speak freely, uh, express your viewpoint. If it's not what people agree, yes, you're going to get some flack for it. Uh, but I've been seeing a lot of viewpoints, you know, in regards to what's going on in Venezuela. A lot of proposed solutions, you know, well, what, what should be done about it, right? People will say, what should we do? Should we go in? Should we intervene mil- militarily? Should we invade Venezuela? Should we do nothing? Should we put sanctions? Uh, should we, uh, you know, what, what, what should be done? Should we do nothing at all? And uh, for the people who, anyway, are uh, into world news and don't just hear about all the garbage that's uh, propagated in the national media here in the United States, you you hear a lot of stuff. What should be done about Venezuela? I mean, I have my viewpoint. I have my thoughts. But in the end, I think to myself, you know, what what good are they? Here I am, sitting here. I've never been to Venezuela. I've never been to South America. I have an understanding of the politics there, but certainly not fluent, perhaps. Who am I to try and sit here and hypothesize, let alone try and say what should be done with this country that truly I do not understand, as I've never been there, try to dictate what should be done about it all. Always remember, it's the people who are truly undergoing this crisis. They are the ones that will be able to give you that degree of insight that no armchair panelist will ever be able to do. All I will say is this. If there is any way to be able to to improve this situation without the use of violence, that would be the best possible outcome, in my opinion. Because for all the people calling for military intervention, I understand, I understand that a lot of people can be very angry. I myself was upset when I saw that the aid was being refused into the country, but at the same time, full-on military intervention, maybe one day it might not improve the situation, assuming that, let's say, through military force, the existing government is forced out and a new government is employed, maybe that new government will be better, but what if it's not? Depending on how the conflict goes, the country could be left in ruins. Look at Syria. Uh, You know, all all you need to do is look at the pictures of Syria before and after the Civil War, and you'll see what uncalled for bloodshed and violence did to a beautiful country. I know that Venezuela isn't in a good spot right now, but dropping bombs and extensive combat will not make it any better. And the quality of life, certainly not the best, will go down exponentially in the case of armed conflict. 
There would be many civilian deaths, many due to the fighting, due to lack of resources, perhaps spread of disease, who's to say? Humanitarian crisis, as there is already. Food supply shortages, many people lose their homes, lose everything. Is all of that really worth it? Like I said, I want to see this situation improve, and if there's a way that it can improve without resorting to military action, like I said, I'll take it. That's my only opinion, but I personally think, who am I to say what should and shouldn't happen in a country that I've never been to and never possessed that full understanding of? I think truly it should be the Venezuelan people be the ones that make those decisions, not me. Now, I just wanted to interject very quickly in regards to uh, this broadcast. Of course, as I was just recording this earlier, I, you know, I focused on the situation in Venezuela. Uh, we also should not forget, of course, what is going on in uh, Jammu and Kashmir in uh, India and Pakistan. Uh, that incident, uh, this conflict, currently was, was getting minimal attention uh, among press, uh, though I think as things are heating up, it certainly uh, is, is getting more coverage. Uh, that is another situation that, you know, you should research, you should look into it, uh, because I think almost even more so perhaps than Venezuela, India and Pakistan you know, they, they do not have a good relationship. Uh, even at the basic level, I think that is understood by many people around the world. And things are, are really heating up over there. Uh, what started out as a few strikes uh, now is uh, back and forth fighting. Will it escalate? Will it not? Uh, that, you know, we, we will see. But it seems to me every single day that I check at it, uh, things aren't getting any better. Hopefully it will not get to the level where nuclear weapons are used. I, I highly doubt it. I don't think either side would wish to ever go that far and employ such resources. Uh, but as I said, this is a very active conflict. Certainly it could de-escalate. I hope it does. But given the history you know, between these two countries, and uh, the way things are looking, it's just something to really keep an eye on. And uh, should this continue to escalate, I could just say, I certainly hope for the best. And in, in almost all cases, I, if there is a more peaceful route that can be taken, I'll take it. So uh, I just wanted to interject as I'm kind of going through this, this broadcast, um, you know, making sure it's of quality for transmission. Uh, this is just something that I wanted to interject as well. Uh, so thank you for uh, putting up with this small little side note, and uh, we resume this broadcast. With that, that's all that I have to say. Uh, coming up next, we're just going to get to a few of your topic suggestions. Uh, long or short, we're just going to get to them, and then we're going to wrap up the show. Hope you're enjoying the program so far. This is VORW International. Alright, so as I mentioned earlier, this program is uh, divided really into the two portions. And we really are officially into the second portion of the program, where we take a look at what you, the listener, has to say, or what you want me to talk about. 
Before we get on to anything, first let's just take a quick break. Uh, before we get into anything, I just want to give a few words to the folks who really do keep this broadcast going. Funds have been down, but we still have enough to keep this going, and it is thanks to Database Pros. This broadcast is brought to you by Database Pros for HR databases, HOA databases, and more great database software. Check them out db-pros.com that's db-pros.com this broadcast also is sponsored by Brandon M. Lohman of Lohman Law PLLC they provide professional, competent, dedicated and courteous service Lohman Law PLLC has represented clients in matters of personal injury, tribal law, oil and gas law and criminal defense they are licensed in the state of North Dakota, the state of Minnesota Fort Berthold District Court, Standing Rock Tribal Court, Federal District Court of North Dakota, and the Federal Court of Claims in Washington, D.C. Loman Law P. LLC is based in Grand Forks, North Dakota. If you need help with your legal claim, contact Loman Law P. LLC to set up a free consultation. Their contact information is as follows. You may find them at lomanlawfirm.com. That's L-O-M-M-E-N-L-A-W-F-I-R-M dot com. LomanLawFirm dot com. Facebook dot com slash LomanLaw. You may reach them via telephone at area code 701-213-5986 or via email at LomanLaw at gmail dot com. Always keep in mind that this broadcast is listener-supported. If you would like to advertise on this broadcast, please send an inquiry to v-o-r-w-i-n-f-o at gmail.com. I will try to find a rate you can work with and get your message, your product, your service out there with the entire world. Likewise, if you would wish to support this broadcast, you may do so via PayPal to v-o-r-w-i-n-f-o at gmail.com via paypal also if you wish to support it via patreon you may find it at patreon.com slash the report of the week alright well first i just want to say hello to a few listeners who tuned in last week uh, i want to give a big hello to willow uh... tuned in online I want to say hi to uh... robert Chris and Ethan, also listening in online. Leander in North Carolina, listening on 5850 on the shortwave. And Andre and his son over in Wisconsin, they're tuned in on 5850 kHz as well. First, I'd like to read a listener comment from Sam in Brooklyn. Of course, I just, I am always interested in hearing what your feedback is. You don't have to agree with me. Always interested in hearing. Sam in Brooklyn writes, I wanted to address a comment you made about some people treating politics like it's life or death last week. For many people, politics literally, literally can be life or death. The things policymakers and government employees do at a local and national level have very real and immediate impacts on millions of folks around the country and frankly the planet itself especially considering the dire straits the environment is in. I understand being frustrated with the repetitive, trivial, and mundane nature of the American political news cycle, and I can completely relate to you on that front. 
With that being said, I must ask you to consider why some people are so passionate and fiery about political issues, considering the day-to-day -day effects, both positive and negative, they have on the lives of Americans, especially those who are subject to injustice and unfair treatment. Those were a few words from Sam in uh, Brooklyn, Brooklyn, New York, in regards to the comments last week on the American news cycle. I completely understand that uh, absolutely many of the the things going on politically may be of, of great impact to uh, a lot of people. I guess what's most bothersome to me is when you see on social media, you see people that get so uh, fired up, so angry. You know, like, in, in my opinion anyway, there's a difference between being passionate about something and just being a jerk, you know what I mean? You just see so many people that are just, uh, just complete jerks when it comes down to issues that truly don't even apply to them. So, uh, that's all that there is to it. I mean, I do understand, of course, there are, uh, many, many issues going on in the country that have those very real, very real impacts. I guess what I was just trying to say last week is that the rest of the world shouldn't be forgotten either. And that, you know, of course, it makes sense to have the, uh, the media talk about what's going on in the country. I just don't think that's all that it should be. I think the rest of the world should be uh, given a little bit of a chance to in regards to what's going on, you know. That's just my two cents. But uh, thank you, Sam, for your thoughts, your viewpoint. And uh, I just want to say I, I respect the civility of it all as well because you, you'll sometimes see, you'll get some people uh, that if I say something that they disagree with, uh, yeah, yes, of course, I welcome their dissenting views, but they'll get all pissed off about it, and they'll get uh, quite angry and throw in a few snide remarks that I find uncalled for. So uh, I just wanted to say thank you for expressing your viewpoint like an actual adult. With that, speaking of uh, well, viewpoints, we have a few topic suggestions that I will give my viewpoint on. Uh, we have, let's see, how many do we have lined up today? We got one, two, three, four. We got five different topic suggestions. Uh, and we'll just, we'll go through them. How long I will spend on each one, only time will tell. I, I truly couldn't tell you. And we'll just see. However much I have to say is, uh, is however much I have to say. The first uh, topic suggestion is from Oliver. This is kind of building on one from a few weeks ago. Do you think there will be a universal language? So thank you, Oliver, for your topic suggestion. Now, to really give a quick answer to this, not to dismiss your topic, but because a few shows back, uh, the question was posed as to what my thoughts were on Esperanto, which was an actual attempt at an international language. I think that English already is <coughs> a uh, universal language language. That's my that's my understanding anyway. I think that in many cases, even in countries where English is not the predominant uh, language in the world of business, formal negotiations, political, uh, etc., English is oftentimes a go-to language. I think going forward, 
the uh, universal languages will probably be t two, English and Chinese, uh, because uh, you know you, you cannot forget China. Uh, you can't forget about them. But of course, I think the other major languages will still have a, uh, you know, they will have that impact. Spanish, French, Portuguese, Arabic, German, Russian, Hindi, Korean, Japanese, Vietnamese, and, uh, you know, those major languages will definitely still have their role. But I think already, if there is a universal language, I think English already is. And uh, I think sooner than you think, Chinese is going to be there too. Thank you, Oliver, for your topic suggestion. Next, we hear from Tori, uh, who sent in some feedback and then has a topic suggestion likewise. She says, I feel like interest in true crime has gone up so much in the last couple of years. Do you yourself have an interest slash fascination with true crime? And I'm assuming you don't romanticize murderers. And if not, what are your thoughts on it? Thank you, Tori, for your topic suggestion. Now, true crime, you're right, it is an emerging, you know, genre, but it's been around for a while. The formal definition of uh, true crime, anyway, uh, going by Wikipedia, they write, is a non-fiction literary and film genre in which the author examines an actual crime and details the actions of real people. Um, the crimes most commonly include murder, about 40% focus on tales of serial killers. Uh, granted, this genre uh, can focus on high-profile sensational crimes, uh, or even some more smaller, obscure murders. Uh, true crime works can impact the crime it covers and the audience who consumes it. The genre is often criticized for being insensitive to the victims and their families and is described by some as, quote, trash culture, unquote. True crime, my thoughts, I like it. Uh, not gonna, not gonna lie, not gonna deny it. Uh, it fascinates me because, uh, the legal system, all of that has been fascinating. And, uh, you know, crime, laws, all of that is, uh, yes, it's just of, of great interest to me. Not that I wish to uh, pursue any sort of career in that field, uh, but rather to simply learn about it and, and uh, see all of that. So it's fascinating. Yes, uh, I'm p particularly a fan of the uh, television channel Investigation Discovery, if you've, uh, if you've ever watched, watched that one. I'm a big fan of that. And uh, then, of course, going old school, Forensic Files, another great, uh, great show. They always, I think, need to make that distinction that the individuals who committed these crimes should not ever be glorified. I think at least the programs that I watch do not do such a thing. Uh, but if there are ones that try to romanticize or... Uh, glorify these individuals or the actions upon which they cast. That I disagree with. Uh, but I think simply documenting them, recounting, and look, if you have to change a few names, faces, locations, uh, for the sake of protection, you know, I completely understand that. There's nothing, nothing wrong with that. But yes, true crime, 
because I myself am fascinated with it. I understand, you know, it's a, uh, it's one of those things that, that does interest me greatly, so, yeah, it is an interest of mine, and I'll watch a lot of those shows. I don't really, uh, you know, I don't really do much reading, though I will sometimes read about the perpetrators, and, uh, sometimes, like the other day I was reading about the, uh, must have been from one of the news articles that was talking about El Chapo, how he was getting sent to the uh, Supermax prison, ADX Florence, in Colorado. And now you want to talk about going down the rabbit hole. I mean, that is it right there. You read about that prison, and uh, there's no turning back. I was just reading about it, going from one thing to... I must have killed probably an entire night reading about this place. Uh, because I read about it, then I watch uh, some videos, watch a documentary about it, and then, then you know, you start reading about the notable inmates. You just go from one to the next and the next, and I mean, it just that's a good way if you if you're interested in that stuff, and you want to kill a few hours, uh, just go on Wikipedia and look up ADX Florence. That's the uh, supermax prison in Colorado that usually the uh, the worst offenders out there get sent to. And uh, you're going to find a lot of interesting stuff on that page. That's a guarantee. Thank you again for your topic suggestion. The next comes from Hayden in uh, the UK. He had a few comments. He was talking about the uh, NHS in England, which uh, I am very familiar with that. And uh, he just had a question. He says, do you think a nationalized health service could ever function in the United States? I, I give you a yes and no. Could it function? Yes. Will it ever function? No. No, it won't. I'll tell you, there is one single reason why a nationalized health service will never, not in our lifetime, never will function in the United States. And you could thank the insurance companies for that. Uh, no, there will never be one. It's never going to happen. And I guarantee you, the insurance companies they'll play dirty. If someone legitimately starts making practical groundwork for a nationalized health service, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they would just go straight up and, uh, you know, resort to some very dirty tricks. Uh, they'll try to discredit you in any way they can, and if they can't do that, they'll take care of you. I guarantee you'll, you'll wind up in an accident, uh, you'll be unable to continue forth. They'll threaten you. If you keep doing it, they'll probably put you down. Uh, because if there's one thing that will always prevent a, a nationalized health service, it's the insurance companies. It's never going to happen. Uh, one theoretically could function. It would take a huge overhaul. Uh, and it would be a huge amount of work. And there would be a huge amount of protest. And it would take a lot of time to uh, really be able to adapt to it might not even be possible if, you know, we're all so used to just, you know, the way that it is uh, but I guarantee you practically it never will. Uh, the insurance companies will not have that and it will not happen that way. Uh, thank you though, Hayden, for uh, your question and topic suggestion. It is much appreciated. Next we hear from Kyle. Uh, who says, I am a student at the Culinary Institute of America. He said, uh, do you like cooking? What are your thoughts on cooking? You know, 
cooking is, uh, it can be simple, but being able to prepare a full meal, in my opinion, is almost like an art. It requires skill, focus, dedication, and persistence. And there's going to be a lot of trial and error. There is going to be a lot of uh, missteps, redos, you know, and, and practice will make perfect. I myself am not a good cook. I am not a master chef. <laughs> you know, there's a reason why I'm out reviewing takeaway food all the time. You know, it's, it's that simple. But I think that the individuals who can prepare food and uh, do so in a, a good way. Sometimes they aren't given enough credit because I think, in my opinion anyway, cooking truly is a skill. And uh, one simple way to almost prove that is, you know, look at where you're writing from, the Culinary Institute of America, a very prestigious facility, by the way. I know that the uh, main campus is in uh, Hyde Park, New York. I've uh, actually been by there a few times. It's a, uh, it's a really nice facility. It's very nice. Uh, upstate, well, it's not really, I mean, to me it was upstate New York. It's not really upstate New York, but that's an aside. But, I mean, it's this prestigious facility, where, you know, where you learn how to be able to prepare these, these courses. If it was so easy, there wouldn't be things like that. It really is an art, if you ask me. And, uh, you know, sure, everyone can really prepare a peanut butter and jelly sandwich or, or heat up a frozen pizza. But to be able to make some nicer things definitely requires skill. And not everyone has that. And at the same time, if, if someone is truly trying to, uh, to cook and to try to, to prepare food better and is, you know, is working working on that, I don't think that their efforts should ever be berated. Practice makes perfect, and an individual should really be applauded for trying to go out and improve that, that skill. You know, and the same goes for the individuals who always ask for someone else to prepare their food, and they themselves have no ability to do so at all. Uh, you know, that's kind of a bit... I don't know, just disagreeable in my mind. Uh, if anything, if you're going to have that mindset, hopefully at least the individual that you expect to prepare your meals uh, is acknowledged, thanked, and uh, really respected for that. You try to tell me to prepare something, uh, a full-blown, very nice, good meal, I guarantee you I am going to fail conclusively. I'm going to fail miserably at it. There's no doubt in my mind. Maybe with a lot of practice, maybe. But like I said, it is something that requires effort. A lot of people can cook. Uh, but, you know, it's it's one of those things that is learned over, over time. And, of course, it's not always perfect. You know, another one of those funny things that I sometimes like watching, I think many of you do as well, is, uh, you know, the Gordon Ramsay program, Kitchen Nightmares, where you'll see that. You know, professional restaurants, full-blown eateries uh, can't really make good meals. And, uh, you know, it's, just, it's, it's a difficult thing. That's my two cents there. Interesting topic, though. Thank you for bringing it up.
And our final topic suggestion comes from Marty. Uh, kind of keeping it, we were having it in the realm of food, and now we go to the realm of drink. What are your thoughts on the coffee industry? I know you regularly frequent Starbucks, but do you ever go to third wave coffee shops? He says, uh, for context, first wave would be brands uh, such as Folgers, the second would be Starbucks, and the third wave is local roasters. A lot of coffee farmers only see about 1% of the revenue generated from a cup of coffee or a bag of beans, while a third wave roaster is often more expensive. They improve the livelihood of farmers and support the industry. Thank you for your topic suggestion, Marty. Yes, I am a very, very frequent uh, Starbucks consumer. Probably, God, I can't even go a day without it anymore. I'm, uh, yes, I am dependent upon that caffeine fix. I always have to. Can't, uh, I can't get anything done otherwise. You know, it's just, that's the way that it is. Uh, most of the time, yes, I, I guess I'm second wave more than anything else. I don't really go to uh, local roasters very often. Like you said, price is a huge uh, factor there. But I think that their efforts, like some people will see that and they will, you know, call them pretentious or whatever, just cast forth that type of judgment. I think that even if the price is higher, but they're doing more to help out the individuals that actually farm the coffee, you know, good on them. They're doing the right thing, if you ask me. Because I know a lot of the coffee beans, you know, they, they, they're harvested in parts of the world where a lot of people live a, a very, just a very meager existence, you know. And, uh, and I think they, they really do deserve more support considering the extent of that, that industry. I certainly applaud the effort, so. But when it comes down to coffee, I mostly just go to uh, Starbucks. That's you know, avid, uh, avid Starbucks consumer. In the past, though, when I, uh, back in the day, I used to do, uh, polyphasic sleeping. And what that means is that I would sleep for four hours in a 24-hour period. And I could guarantee you, yes, that actually is possible. Would I recommend doing it? No. But it I, as I said, I've done it. I did it constantly for probably eight eight months or so. Polyphasic sleeping will require a significant amount of endurance, but it's possible. Where uh, for a good portion of 2014, 2015, my sleep schedule, I would sleep from 4 a.m. to... Uh, actually, it was around 4.30 a.m., to uh, maybe 6.30 a.m. And then I would sleep from 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. each and every day. So I would kind of sleep for two hours, then almost give myself that 12 hours of being awake, sleep for two more hours, then 12 more hours of being awake, and uh, that's how it would be done. And I did that every day for... Uh, not quite a year, but for well over, as I said, probably closer to uh, eight months. The only way I was able to accomplish that was through copious, <laughs> and I do emphasize, copious amounts of caffeine. I remember I would start the day off at around 7 a.m. 
with a uh, energy drink. I would usually drink down probably a full 16 ounce, usually Monster. That was my go-to energy drink. So I'd get that caffeine in my system. That would keep me going through the morning. Then uh, around 1 p.m., I would drink down a, uh, yeah, probably a, uh, I think it was 24 ounce, pretty sure if I'm not mistaken, a 24 ounce hot coffee from a uh, local deli. I don't know if that would be described, I guess that would be maybe, maybe second wave, I really don't know. It wasn't, it was not a prestigious place, you know, it was just a, it was cheap coffee, but like I said, I, I needed that caffeine. Then around uh, 3.30 or so, I would go, I would buy a uh, another 16-ounce uh, cup of coffee from a gas station. Though I wouldn't, I wouldn't drink it, that would be to save. And uh, usually I would take my nap, then I would drink that down at around uh, you know, 6 p.m. or so with, uh, with my meal. And then that would keep me going through the night, and then I would pass out around 4.30, and uh, then the cycle would just repeat. So, I mean, that's how it was done. Polyphasic sleeping, I'm sure it's not necessarily good on you, but it can be done, but in doing so, you need that copious amount of, of caffeine. Um, you know, and that, that comes down to you. If you just want to do the caffeine pills, that's fine. Uh, but people, of course, you know, you have to understand that there's health risks involved with everything. This isn't something that I would recommend doing, but it is possible. I did it, you know, and you're going to be tired every single day, but I'll tell you this, you're going to have no problem falling asleep. You know, nowadays I, uh, I'm an insomniac, <laughs> you know, I usually can't, I always have trouble falling asleep, and I always, uh, I always re resort back to, uh, staying up into the night, you know, into the late night, at least. Usually, uh, more or less into the the morning, sometimes the afternoon or whatever. As as we approach the end of this program, you can hear a uh, cacophony of crows cawing in the background. Wonder if I could see them. I'm just I'm just legitimately curious. I always like birds. Let's see if I can see these guys. Can they be spotted? sun is kind of going down, so I can't. Nah. They're up in the trees somewhere, but I can't really see them at all. Well, you're listening to VORW International, the voice of the Report of the Week. And uh, with that, that's all that I have for today's program. If you have any feedback you would like to uh, submit, it is always most welcome. VORW info at gmail.com Once again, I repeat v-o-r-w-i-n-f-o at gmail.com Reception reports are welcome to listen to programs online. Uh, you can find this show and many more on SoundCloud soundcloud.com slash v-o-r-w on YouTube at youtube.com slash v-o-r-w podcast you can also find this on Spotify by searching VORW. You could find it on iTunes by searching VORW. You could find it on Stitcher by searching VORW. 
You could find it on Pocket Casts by searching VORW, and you could also find it on Google Play by searching VORW. Should you have no internet access, you may hear this broadcast each and every Thursday at the time of 4 p.m. Eastern, that's 21 hours UTC, on 7780 kHz beamed up the East Coast and into Europe. If you also are in North America, you may listen at 8 p.m. Eastern every Thursday, that's 01 hours UTC on 5850 kHz, again just beamed right across the North American continent. With that, thank you for listening. I hope this month of February has been a wonderful month for you, and uh, we now go into the month of March, which I hope is an even better one for you. We'll see you again next week, and uh, with that I say see you in March, take care, this is VORW.